when you are a pro skier, you're going to get talked about whether you like it or not. And if you don't tell people the story, they will make up the story, not out of bad nature, but because their brain is going to start to autofill and they're going to go off of what they know. Um, and so I knew as a defense mechanism, I needed to get the story straight and keep the story straight the best that I could. And I wanted people to know everything, not everything, but I wanted people to know about me, um, the good, the bad, the ugly, the right and the wrong, because it's like, well, I can either be afraid of my name being mentioned or I can say, hey, here's exactly who I am and what I am. Um, and here's what I do day to day and I like it and I'm not for everybody. And that's cool. Like, I literally don't care. and welcome back or welcome to the Water Ski Podcast. This is Matteo Luzzeri, your host, and the goal of this podcast is to promote water skiing, grow the sport possibly. Definitely two of the things that fuel my motivation to continue with this fun and uh, entertaining project. Uh, this episode is part two of my interview with Elizabeth Montabon, a pro skier from the United States and uh, someone who really made uh, left a mark in the 2020 season. Um, we speak a bunch about her journey in part one, uh, episode that, by the way, resonated with a lot of people, at least it must have. Um, a lot of people listened to that episode last week. And in the second part, we conclude the conversation about the 2020 season, covering her uh, second place at the Mastercraft Pro, the last pro tournament of this season. And then we just talk about the things that I care, so promotion of the sport, and with her specifically about social media and marketing. Um, two, I would say, of her expertise, both from a um, competition standpoint and from her reach that she managed to get on social media. So we discussed that on this episode, which is brought to you by the Whisperfin Pro. The Whisperfin Pro is the latest product coming from the hard work of Jay Poshente, also known as uh, Ski Jay, the man and pen behind the successful book Fin Whispering, the mystifying the black art of water ski tuning. You should get that book. It features yours truly on the cover. The Whisperfin Pro is the second iteration of an already successful product, the Whisperfin. This tool has been used by skiers of all levels to step up their game and reach new PBs, including pro water skier Elizabeth Montavon, one of the recent guests of this show. The Whisperfin Pro maintains the same easy turns and acceleration as the original, but with more tail hold and consistency at maximum lean angles, like when you're scrambling through your hardest passes. I've been playing around with the Whisperfin for a while during various testing sessions, and I must say, I was surprised by the speed uh, that the thing gives to the ski and especially the sharpness of the on-site turns. And what I love about it is how easy it is to set up, even for skiers who might not be extremely proficient with uh, fin adjustments and, and fin settings. So go on www.whisperfin.com and pre-order your Whisperfin Pro today. 
And if you have family or friends who would like a Whisperfin, use the promo code TWSP at checkout and you can add as many original Whisperfins as you like to your order for only $99 each while supplies last. Whisperfin Pro. Yes, you can buy a better game. Now, before we jump back into the interview with Elizabeth, I just wanted to remind you that uh, one of the reasons why I'm doing this is to hopefully attract through the stories of skiers and people in the sport to attract people in the sport that might not be water skiers. And one of the ways in which I'm trying to do that is through uh, climbing specific uh, podcast charts. So one way in which you can help uh, help me or the sport achieving so is to uh well obviously spread the word uh with your friends but also rate and review this podcast on the platforms that allow you to do so and generally those are the ones with uh the most um i guess reliable charts because they have the human component to it so the two platforms that i would uh, kindly ask you to rate and review this podcast to are apple podcast uh, which I know that a lot of you guys use, and also Podchaser. Uh, you can find it online very easily, and maybe you already use it uh, to listen to the Waterski podcast. So if you want to mind uh, chugging in a rate and review, I would highly appreciate it. That being said, let's jump back into part two of my interview with Elizabeth. Enjoy, and catch you next week. All right, so we came back from a little bit of a break, and... Um, we were just getting talking about Mastercraft Pro, and you told me earlier on that that was that was one of the moments where you sat back. I'm guessing in the drive home, which wasn't that that long, and and thought, okay, now now I've achieved something, right? Tell me something about that tournament, because I mean that's that's the other thing. A lot of people watched that tournament. It was you know uh, the last tournament of the year. The guys at TWBC have been building up, building up, and that was the most watched event. Um, tell me whatever you want about that tournament. Well, and, you know, first of all, I mean, we have to give so much credit to, like, the Waterski Broadcasting Company for what they have made this sport look like. I mean, yep. we think skiing is cool, but we're on the inside. And so to make it so interesting and dynamic to people on the outside. I have friends and coworkers who are non-skiers who they watch it and they know when to scream and they know, you know, what was good and what was bad and they still don't understand how slalom works, but they watch it like Americans watch our football games, you know, they were on yep. the edge of their seat. So, I mean, that is so cool to see happening in our sport. Um, and then the other thing about Mastercraft, I have to thank Freddie and Manon because they were the ones who talked me into going because I wasn't going to go. And mm -hmm. we were a couple weeks out. Like when I say every pro event this year was like last minute, like I'm not kidding. Last minute. Yeah, super last minute. I, um, I was actually registered for like a four round record down at Miami um, just to try to get some scores that same weekend. And Freddie and Manon were like, no, like, you know, if we want pro women slalom skiing to grow, you have to go to things. And, you know, actually the way Freddie put it, it was perfect. He goes, whether anybody likes it or not, you're part of this now, so you have to show up. And I was like, well, damn, dude, like, you're not the, wrong. <laughs> the guy can be persuading, man. 
like the guy has a way of convincing people even i you know like i sometimes mm -hmm. i get convinced too and yeah he's persuasive yeah yeah well, I'm, I was glad. Like, I'm yeah glad i was super glad and um and manon she texted me too and you know when you have somebody like manon who has won everything and is somebody you're going to be competing against say hey please come to this event um even though we're all very competitive and women especially are i think a special type of competitive Yep. Um, I was like, okay, you know, Freddie was right. Menon is a beacon of what women in the sport should be. I'm going to go. So I, well I called put. Chet. Yeah. And I, I called Chet well and I was put. like, may I go <laughs> to Mastercraft Pro? <laughs> right. And, um, so we started to get ready. We had like two weeks and, um, it was really funny. I mean, I don't know how he does this Mateo, but I'm sitting in the water, my last set before I drive up there. And he goes, three at 39 will win this tournament. And I was like, is Regina not going? Like, did I miss? And I was like, I know Menon's going. And she can ski behind that boat. Like, she's already up there. So I'm like, what do you mean, three at 39? And he goes, three at 39 is going to win this tournament. And he goes, you just need to get three at 39. And I was like, okay. Okay, like, boss, like, whatever you say, you know. So um, that was one of those events where, like, I used the first round to get my bearings a little bit better after my practice set the day before. And then I skied better and made the final just barely. And then in the final, um, I was first off the dock. Yep. So I had no idea what to shoot for, except for Chet had said, get three at 39. And he was like, you know, girls get scared when they have to get to four ball at 39. And I was like, okay. And um, I got my two and a half. I did an S turn three ball. I, it's so hard as a lefty, like, I never have to turn my one three five. S turn my one three five, right? Like in practice, it's always two four. So like I was like, I don't know how to S turn three ball right now. Oh my god, do I deserve to be here? Probably not. So I not easy to to S turn on site, honestly. It, it like, was so I mean, awkward. I was like, did I actually just fall right there? Like oh my god, it was still a PB, but um, I got my two and a half, and then the girls started falling, like missing passes that they run all the time like in their sleep and i'm sitting there on the shore and i'm like oh my god like chet was right not that i've ever doubted him but i was like he was re like down to the buoy accurate and um then it got down to menon and regina and menon just had an unfortunate three ball i mean she was she probably missed the outside of three ball by a half inch and regina grabbed a whole three and three at 39 won the tournament like he said but to stand on a podium between Menon and Regina two people who in terms of like their skill set I hold in a ridiculously um I hold you know in a high esteem I, I think that they are the standard we're all chasing um so to stand between the two of them on the podium um is one thing that in itself to me was a massive achievement that I didn't think was going to happen this year. I always knew I wanted to be on a podium with the two of them. Um, yeah, you were sandwiched in between the best water skier of all time and the current world champ. Right? Like, I was just like, oh, my the God. Hell? Yeah. <laughs> really? Um, but I actually had a little bit more that moment, like, knowing I was down on the dock getting ready in the final. And I was first off the dock and they were taking a break before they started us. So they were like, we have like 10 minutes. So we're going to you know, switch out boat crew and camera people and put gas in the boat, you know. And 
that was the first round of a pro event where I didn't feel any adrenaline on the starting dock. And I got really, really worried because I was like, oh my God, like something is wrong. Because I'm not, I don't feel that little bit of nervous, like this matters, like no, there's just nothing. And I was like, okay, maybe when I get in the water, the adrenaline will kick in. Maybe when I turn the island at the end, it'll kick in. And I'm like looking at the course, I'm about to pull out for my gate and the adrenaline still hadn't kicked in. And I was like, is some, like, is that wrong? And I think looking back on it, that moment where the adrenaline didn't kick in, I was finally comfortable in this environment. There you go. There was, you go. I was like, I, I'm not going to say I deserve to be there. I don't really like the word deserve, but I worked to be here. I want to be here and I really love being here. Like I chose this 100% on my own by design. I should not feel nervous at all. Yeah. And I think, you know, like maybe even more than deserving, you put in the pro tournament experience reps, right? Always last minute, always chat, can I go? But you did, right? You went yeah. to Mumba, you went to Hilltop, you went to Grand Prix, and now you were a Mastercraft. Like you've, you put the, the reps of being on the dock with the names you look up to or respect or trying to chase and having to, to figure out a set out of that experience, you know? So yeah, no, as you were explaining that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's probably the first set she felt comfortable. Yeah, it, I mean, it was, I was so worried. I actually thought something was wrong, you know, because up until that point, like I've never had anybody go with me to a pro event. This year I went to all of them like by myself. I never asked like my dad to come. I would never ask Chet, like he's, you know, working. I, I go by myself. Um, and sometimes Chet can answer my phone calls and sometimes he can't, you know. So in a way, it's kind of like I did all this training we're going to throw you out there by yourself and see what you can make out of it. And I tend personally, like, I love those kinds of environments. It's, you yeah. know, it's just a test of um, your training up until that point. And I'm glad it happened that way because let's say my dad went with me to Mumba or Chet went with me to Mumba um, or somebody went with me to Hilltop. And I had that, like those training wheels, this year, I don't think Mastercraft would have necessarily gone as well as it had. Mm -hmm. I think it was really good that in a way at pro events, I had very little on-site support because I think like we talked earlier, it forced me to get better faster. Yep. So it really compounded um, my ability to use everything I had learned in the past three years more than if I had had somebody there, you know, it's a little, I think we really overestimate how possibly detrimental it can be if you always have somebody taking care of everything for you. Like Agreed. I'll carry my own ski. Like I can get my own bottle of water. I don't need you to go pick up lunch for me. Like, you know, I don't need you to make sure I wake up in the morning. If I oversleep and I miss the pro event, like that's my fault and I'm an idiot, you know? Right. And I, I think we get dependent on that stuff, especially if you grew up as a junior skier right if you're super into the junior ski scene and you go to all the events your parents are just doing parent things that's their job and um i think that it would have been very easy for my support people and my family to be overly supportive and i think that actually would have held me back this year as well so 
but yeah, I think Mastercraft was the first time I felt very comfortable in that environment. And I was like, okay, like game on, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. No, and certainly worked. And if anything, it must have reaffirmed that whatever your partnership with chat, your reps, whatever system you have in place is working, right? Because you don't hear often of someone truly at their first pro tour like season to be sandwiched between the best skier in the world and the current world champ. Like that doesn't happen. I mean, one exception that I can think of is called this year at Malibu Open, which again, Absolutely. mind blew everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, certainly something is working. And you said like, you know, I, I'm on this accelerated path, like I need to, I need to catch up, right? Mm-hmm. As you face the 2021 season, you know, you're great ready for it, as uncertain as uh, this season probably, mm-hmm. um, what, what is, is it gonna be like doing more of the same? Is it going to be like readjusting a few things? What do you think? I think at the end of the day for me, and I don't know if this is like personal or if this is actually how we should be training across the board, it's still gonna be a lot of volume. I'm still gonna ski a ton. You know, I told Chet the other day, I said, if there was a way with work that I could ski three sets a day, three days a week, and the other days be two sets, I would absolutely do it. We'd have to figure out if we would have to change something to make it possible for my body to do that, you know? Um, But I do well when there's a lot of volume um, behind me because I'm not athletically gifted and athletically inclined. So I have to actually do the work. Like there's no instincts or muscle memory that's really gonna kick in for me. So I think 2021, I'm because I am a workhorse of a person, I'm probably gonna put in a lot of work. But you know, I would like to say more of it's gonna be at short lines. And like I said, getting comfortable with the visual and the speed of the whip. Um, you know, yesterday actually, I skied with my dad and um, I ran. Um, a bunch of 38s and he goes hey you remember when you came back from hilltop and you said we were going to figure out whatever we had to do to not miss 38s anymore and I was like yeah and he goes today you got there today is the day and I was like oh yeah like you're right because now I'm running them without thinking about it I'm not worried about running them it's like how do I want to run the 38 and I can you know really analyze it and so I think getting to spend more time at 38 and 39 um, in a high volume so that I get comfortable um, is going to be the name of the game for 2021, I think. But who am I to say what the plan is? Like, we'll leave that to the boss. He's going to tell me what the plan is. I promise you. Because, I mean, his process has worked. If I know Chet, he's going to make me ski in a lot of wind this winter, um, a lot of rain. the really cold days he'll send everybody else home and he'll have me ski um like right now he actually he my ski is set up not the way i like it intentionally he's taken away a few advantages of my own ski because he wants me to work harder interesting which sounds like an insane it sounds like a crazy coach but today i actually I skied this morning and i had a fall and i was like oh that's what he wanted if i was a better skier I would have came out of that if I had my old setup I wouldn't have had to be a better skier the ski would have handled it for me so mm-hmm. you know he's 
he's going to train my skill set however he sees fit. And I am completely prepared to fall a bunch and miss a lot of passes and, and do whatever it takes because that's the beauty of the offseason is we can – we can miss a lot of things. And I, you know, it brings me to something I was just like writing about the other day, this concept of fake failing. Have you heard about this yet? Uh, no, it likes me. So fake failing, I think is, I don't really know how we came up with it. And maybe this is more like American self-help culture kind of a thing where we overdwell on failures so that then there's like something to coach to like oh you need to buy my book and you need to listen to my podcast because you're such a failure and I can help you yeah and f- fake failing here's the thing like if you fell at two ball or your opener wasn't great today or you missed your gate on like the early side by this much or you worked on a new skill and you did it at one, two, and a three, and you didn't at four, five, and six. Like, I know so many skiers who I will see over the course of the next week who would say all of those are failures. And it's like, here's the deal, dude. You didn't fail. You had, like, yeah. a learning experience. Like, maybe it was a setback. Like, maybe. But, like, is missing a gate really a setback? Yeah, and, yeah. You and I know so lot. many... Yeah, I know so many people who, like, they miss their gate on their opener and they ski the rest of their set and they come back to the dock and they're like, Oh my God, I had a really terrible set. I'm like, Oh, what happened? And like, well, I missed my gate on my opener. And I'm like, you think you failed? Yeah. And so it's, it's that narrative of all these little things that are failures and it's like, they're not. So I call them fake failing. Like you're fake failing. It's not real. And I think because I am like wired or something, or I learned something um, along the way where, I don't register those little things as failures anymore. I mean, off seasons are perfect for me because we get to experiment, we get to try and we get to work really hard and I will absolutely miss my gates. I will miss openers. I will fall at two ball, (laughs) you know, all of that's going to happen to me and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it, you know, it's not to discredit your approach, but I also think like an insane amount of reps will, will make those dissolve right yeah like you know if you if you ski you know 36 passes a day what's a no gate at 35 in a pursuit of a better feeling into one ball exactly you know? especially for left foot forwards which are a bit of a weird beast you know like feeling good <laughs> into one seems to be important yeah. so no no i i agree and i think that's a you see that in a lot of skiers you know like not only uh, pro, but amateurs even. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that curse of you're never going to beat the gate, uh, never going to beat the course, right? So mm-hmm. all it's so easy to fall into judging everything you do according to the buoy count, right? Oh, yeah, I felt better, but I ran two buoys less about, you know, trying this thing that I started trying today. Well, guess what? Like you got, you know, at least another 400 passes before you figure out if that's the right thing or not, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's a strange pursuit. Now, another strange pursuit, which I know you are familiar with, and one that I'm very passionate about, is the promotion of our sport. That's why I do the podcast. That's why, you know, that's what I decided to live the lifestyle that I live. And in your own way, you have been managing to tap into that, mm-hmm. right? I know that you have a huge follow. Um, following uh what do you think 
can help the sport grow even more. And I will I will stick to the marketing side because that's your expertise and that's what you work in and that's what you've been fairly successful at. Let's face it. So where do you think we can market our sport better? So here's the deal. I think that because the narrative, not in water skiing, just in general about social media is that it's unhealthy um, or that it's shallow or self-absorbed, self-obsessed, it's vapid. I think that it's really easy to not value or at least undervalue the tool that is social media. So when I really started doing my social media and made it very uh, water ski oriented, um, it really at the time, I wish I could say it was all part of some great plan to grow water skiing, but it was really more um, a defense mechanism because the truth is, I mean, we're sitting here doing a podcast talking about skiing. How many skiers have we mentioned already? Like several, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you are a pro skier, you're going to get talked about whether you like it or not. And if you don't tell people the story, they will make up the story, not out of bad nature, but because their brain is going to start to autofill and they're going to go off of what they know. Um, And so I knew as a defense mechanism, I needed to get the story straight and keep the story straight the best that I could. And I wanted people to know everything, not everything, but I wanted people to know about me, um, the good, the bad, the ugly, the right and the wrong, because it's like, Well, I can either be afraid of my name being mentioned or I can say, hey, here's exactly who I am and what I am um, and here's what I do day to day and I like it and I'm not for everybody and that's cool. Like, I literally don't care if you like my social media or you don't. It's just social media. We have to quit placing so much um, like emotional value on it um, and self-worth in social media and see it as the tool that it is. So I used it first purely to protect myself. So before anybody could say anything about me, should I get decent at slalom skiing, I'm gonna get the story straight first. Then it grew into, okay, but people wanna know, what do you as a pro skier, like Elizabeth, how do you spend your time? What What do you do? And obviously every pro skier trains differently and they have unique facets to how they've gotten to where they've gotten. Um, So I can only speak to mine, but then I started sharing that. And what I realized was that social media is a tool to get from A to B. And that A to B being that the most important commodity that we really should be um, chasing Um, and and trying to collect in water skiing, if we really want the sport to grow, is attention. If you have attention, you are the most valuable person in a given industry. So as you know, um, there are athletes in other sports who are not the best at what they do, but because of their persona and the amount of attention that they have, they have some really incredible sponsors, right? Like they Mm -hmm. make a living being good at a sport but they're not the best so i started to see that okay social media is a tool i can use it to collect attention and i can use it to divert that attention and in doing so i've I've learned that there are so many people who have never skied the course and have no desire to ski the course but they actually ski 
every single day and they free ski and they never watched a pro event webcast don't even really understand how it's scored because they never ski the course but they're interested in our sliver of water sports of water skiing um, i've learned this there's people who they used to ski and they got sick of bullshit at their ski club but you know what because it looks like so much damn fun they threw on the ski for the first time in 20 years all because of content and trying to keep people's attention and feed them a narrative that skiing is awesome it's unique um we're really lucky that we get to do it because most people don't um it is a lot of work and you should be really proud if you do put in the work and ski because it's really freaking cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's tough. And yeah, that, sorry, I, I just want to share a thought with you because mm -hmm. I, so yes, there are some athletes who might not be the best in their sport, but they manage to attract attention for who they are. Probably this, their sport environment has the platform for it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm thinking more of like your professional team, team sports. Right. Then there are sports where you know, like, let's call them freestyle sports, like snowboarding, skateboarding, surfing, wakeboarding, where that way has become almost a sport, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't follow Harley Clifford for whether he wins worlds, but because of what he puts out, you know, exactly. like movies, uh, social media, what have you. The weird thing I see about water skiing, sorry, it's just a thought that came now, mm -hmm. is we could followed that freestyle vibe, but we got the course to face. Like we don't get away from performance, right? Mm -hmm. So as, as in many other things about water skiing, we sort of stand in the middle, right? We're yeah. not there, but we're not there either. So I think that's one of the, the challenges of promoting something that is so cool like what we do but that doesn't really fit a category, right? Mm -hmm. It's not an Olympic sport, but it's a pro sport, well, kind of. It's, a, you know, like, it's a freestyle sport, yeah, but equipment is so important and there's performance. It's, a, it's challenging, it's challenging. But, but obviously, I, I wanted to hear your opinion because, in my opinion, you've been one of the most successful at spreading the word through you about water skiing. You know? Thank you. And that's super freaking cool. Well, uh, so if you were one of my clients, for example, like if we were in my professional setting and we were talking marketing and you were one of my clients, I would say to you, okay, like let's look at other people in your field who are doing it well. Um, so, you know, by that I mean, okay, the industry of professional three-event water skiing, who else is doing it kind of like you and is doing killing it in the social media game? And let's start mimicking what they're doing and making it, you know, our own, and then we'll go from there. But unfortunately, there is nobody to replicate. I, there is not one sport I can really think of where um, within their sport, there's an athlete who is similar to any of us and we could start to replicate them. So I had to trial and error figure that out on my own. And of course, if we're just talking purely social media um, and the objectives there, it's not where I want it to be yet, it's growing. Um, but we're kind of shooting in the dark. And I feel like that actually describes a lot of skiing. We try to 
mimic and mold ourselves off of other sports and and their success in sports that do have a lot of attention and a lot of money and there's really nobody for us to model after that's going to work where we wouldn't lose the essence of water skiing at the same time like we can't lose how the sport operates so it's been a lot of you know trial and error but we keep complaining that we want more money in the sport um and we keep looking to the big brands to make that happen. And the truth is, instead of complaining or um, blaming the sponsors and the big brands, if we as the athletes start to get a lot of attention on our own through our own platforms, other brands from outside the industry will show up because if you have attention, money will follow. Money always follows attention. Yep. And then more attention follows money. So we need to start treating ourselves individually as almost little media companies, right? So instead of um, I'm Elizabeth Monavon and I'm this you know pro skier and I have my dog and I ski with my dad and you know X Y Z, it's like no Elizabeth Monavon media, and then schedule out what's my message and produce the content accordingly. Because people want to know what we do anyway. Like people want to know what Mateo does, right? They want to know how he gets ready to ski, what he thinks about. <laughs> Doesn't do much these days, but yeah, uh, I mean, lockdown, you know, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see your point. I see your point. And if we take our, our selves out of the equation, like our egos and our feelings as pro skiers, and we just treat ourselves like media companies and start producing content at a mass scale, water skiing will get attention. And even though in my mind, it's a niche within a niche. Like water skiing is a niche of extreme sports, which is an extreme of, or a niche of sports, right? Like it's so small. Even though it's so small, um, we will get um, um, attention from brands who might say, okay, like, listen, I don't sell water ski gear, but I sell uh, coolers. Do you guys, do people in skiing need coolers? Oh, oh yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, they do. Supplements, you know, yep. like like I told you, like I'm we talked off um, off the recording, like I'm working with First Form. They're not a water ski brand. I mean, they work with mostly like I would say more CrossFit athletes and personal trainers, but um, they've seen my stuff and they're like, that sport looks really freaking scary. Do you guys like almost die all the time? And I'm like, if that's what you want to believe, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We almost die every time. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> all the time. But do people in skiing need supplements? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so I think we need to stop really giving the power to the brands as much. And I get to say that because, like, I don't have a boat sponsor. So we need to stop giving all this power to them and letting them have so much influence by begging them to throw money into the event. No, let's go. Let's look elsewhere. If yeah. we get attention, we could probably ask for support from any brand that you could remotely somehow tie to water skiing. Do we wear socks? Yes, we wear socks. Cool. Let's have a sock sponsor. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it, it literally is just as easy as that in my mind. But I think we have to take ourselves out of it, which is hard. When you're running your own social media, it's hard to not think of it as you but it's it's not it's just a tool to tell a narrative about um how you spend your time doing a really cool sport any cross training you do um and i think if we all did that maybe not all but if 
five pro female slalom skiers and five pro male slalom skiers started putting out content at mass scale with a concise story, I think you would see skiing change dramatically in the next mm, 12 to 16 months. Wow. And that's, that's just slalom sh- skiing. I'm not even saying short. trick skiing. But I mean, think about how fast the social media world operates, like how fast the turnaround is and turnover is on content. Like, you know, if I was to open up Instagram right now, I would see 100 posts that I hadn't seen yet today. Yeah, it goes fast. That's true. In those big brands, like they know that. So they and they need to get on um, wherever the attention is going. They need to jump on that as fast as they can. So if we were getting attention, brands would be all over us. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, the thought that comes to mind as you were uh, really instructing me on this is what Vino told me in, in my interview with him when I asked him, you know, Vincent Stalabauer behind TWBC, mm-hmm. which is cool that that interview preceded the great work that they did this year, which, again, I think they, they improved themselves, like, exponentially this year. Um, when I asked him, like, wh- who is the, whose job is to promote the sport, yeah, right? And he said, e- everyone's. Mm-hmm. You know, because I got to the point where I thought, you know, uh, delusion about the, the institutions that are supposed to represent us. I'm like, well, maybe that's not their job, right, uh, to promote the sport. And which sounds very counterintuitive. But he said, no, it's the job of everyone. Everyone involved in water skiing, judges, federation, skier, driver, dog starter, uh, webcast and rope producer, whoever, both, exactly. you know. And, and he, what I like about what you just said is that it, it gives control to the individual. The individual can also help promote the sport. Does it happen through their promotion, the promotion of themselves? Where, who cares? Like, as long as it happens, you know? Exactly. You know, like, uh, if Tony Hawk made skateboarding great and famous and in the process made him great and famous, well, that's great. That, mm-hmm. that works, you know, like I have no objections about that, right? Um, no, no, it's cool. Like, let's, you know, so I'm obviously very like macro oriented, but like, let's get micro about it. So if we as pro skiers made skiing look really cool and kept it really real, right? Like we stayed very human, told a real story. If we made skiing cool to post about, then... 18-year-old Katie in Wisconsin who skis in the summers with her friends who runs 15 off 34 miles an hour is going to go, oh my God, skiing is cool to post about. I can post about skiing, right? Mm -hmm. And then her Mm -hmm. friends are going to see her doing that. And maybe her, you know, little high school clique, maybe they don't want anything to do with skiing, but at least they see skiing is a cool thing to post about. Katie does something cool. Yeah. And so that's what we need. We need to make it normal to post about skiing and share what we do. Um, and I mean, is there a lot of talk about skiing on social media and online? Absolutely. But is it a lot of I know more than you and bickering? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And that's like that's not social media at all. That I mean, yeah. that's not exactly like at all how it's supposed to operate. And so like the two industries that I think we should consider if you are a pro water skier and you really want to start using your social media as a tool, look at pro surfers and look at pro crossfitters because 
pro surfers, that's a water sport, right? So aesthetically, there's a there's some things we have in common with them there. Um, and they are influenced by the outside elements just as much as we are. When you look at CrossFit athletes, CrossFit is very rooted in the idea of community, right? And they work hard. So my best advice would be to anybody who wants to, and even a brand, you know, really if a brand wanted to turn their social media around, which so many of the brands could do their social media so much better. Oh my God, it like kills me. Those are the two industries I think we could learn the most from. And there's a lot of money in surfing. There's a lot of money in CrossFit. So before anybody tells me that it won't work, like I'm looking at the money in those two industries and I'm like, no, whatever we're doing is not working. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> They've well, got clearly. something figured out. Yeah. So yeah. like where I've been in the past year in studying all of this, and of course, Instagram is like an algorithm, right? So, and it's always changing. So like I'm fighting like my Rubik's Cube that's fighting back. I think if we can start to pull themes and aesthetics from those two industries, if we're talking strictly social media right now, we could start to get attention in this sport that would, number one, make it worth it to the current brands, like the boat brands, the ski brands, to actually throw some money behind us. Like it would make it worth their while. Yeah, but yeah. also we would get the attention of brands outside. And if we can start including brands that are outside of water skiing, that will alleviate so much financial pressure on the brands that are strictly water ski brands. Right. Which means happier brand people and happier brand people make happy decisions and, you know, happy, good decisions from brand people means happy pro skiers. Yeah. And then it really starts to cycle, but we have to start producing mass content at scale. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, and, and, and good content because I think if, you know, like, I think maybe say up until two years ago, we were at a place where any content was good content about water skiing, right? <laughs> anything, just throw anything, you know, at the wall and see if it sticks. Now, w people started throwing things on the wall, you know, like mm -hmm. these podcasts, spray makers, TWBC, Marcus's. And then it turned out that things got better, mm -hmm. right? So I think one of the things that would make us, and social media is so vast that the conversation is already applicable. We have to go from any content is good content to good content is good content, exactly. right? And, mm -hmm. and I think probably social media is the, I wanna, yeah, maybe, maybe it's the easiest way to start. Right, because mm -hmm. you have a phone, you have good ideas, you know, you can start. Maybe some, doing something like TWBC. I mean, you've been to pro events. You've seen yeah. the amount of equipment and manpower and bandwidth it takes to do a, a legit podcast. Uh, sorry, it's a legit insane. webcast. Mm -hmm. Webcast. Um, so, no, maybe maybe we are in that in that moment. You know, maybe what? Like, I was just say here. You know, like here's the thing, like okay, before somebody says to me like, oh, I can't take great photos and oh, I'm not really like a writer. You know, if you're in Orlando, you're around a lot of pro skiers. If you're a pro skier in Orlando, you're around a lot of other pro skiers. Find a photographer, get with a few pro skiers that you can tolerate being with for a day and go do a photo shoot of you getting ready to ski and getting out of the water. Just like that real life, what it's like. You all can use the pictures. You can split the cost on the photo shoot. 
you know, like I found a guy down here who's incredible. He's not that expensive. If I split it with people, it would be pennies. Right. And boom, instant professional content. All I have to do is pick the photos from the thousand he took and write some some content. And I mean, honestly, for pro skiers or really any skier to say that they don't have anything to say is is BS because it's not a, a matter of sit down and think about your story or think about your narrative. It's when you're driving to the lake, there's obviously a narrative going in your head. Sometimes right. it might be one worth jotting down a few notes about because it might be something pivotal to a weekend skier. You know, things that you take for granted about your skiing might just make you know, make their day, it might take their skiing from where it is now to the next level because they needed to hear that one tip, but they needed to hear it the way you say it to yourself. Yeah. You know, so we really do have a lot of intelligence and talent and, and resources at our disposal. We just have to start jumping in and, and taking that first bite. And it's really awkward and uncomfortable at first. Like if you have social media for fun and then you, you want to start doing it to promote skiing, it feels like pompous and, and awkward. Um, but then when you start to see how it affects other people, I get at least 25 to 50 DMs a day about skiing. And around yeah. pro events, like the day of a pro event and like the three days after, I get 100 a day. And it's all just ski talk. And they, they just people just want to talk about it. And I'm like, oh my God, like holy shit, there are people who really want to talk about skiing. We all need to be doing this. Because if I'm getting 100 people who want to talk about skiing on day two of the Mastercraft Pro. Well, what if Menon was and Regina was and Jamie was and Sam was and Allie and everybody? Yeah. That's a lot of people we can touch yeah, without really cool. having to change what we're doing. We can still be at the pro event, but we can touch a lot of people about water skiing. And um, yeah, that's that's my TED talk on that. Well, that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. Well, as you know, I have also another podcast where I just take bits of conversations. Yeah, this will be a good uh, two or three bits uh, consecutive, you know. <laughs> Thank Little you. How to use social media to do good for the sport 101. <laughs> Look, um, what is it that we didn't say? What is that we didn't touch on? I mean, there's a, an endless amount of things, but um, what is it that you want out there that we didn't touch on? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I have to think about that. Take a sip of your coffee. Mm -hmm. This is really not the time to sit and think, is it? Um, you know, something I'm really, I'm really passionate about, and now that we're coming into an off season, so we have a lot of people who are in a colder climate who are just going to be thinking about skiing, right? And they might take um, a trip to ski school for a week or two in the winter to get a little sun. Um, but something I feel really passionately about, and this is not something I've learned just through water skiing. It's through something I've learned um, through my work um, as well, um, which when I see a theme show up in multiple places in my life, that tells me there's some sort of validity to it, right? Yep. When it comes to 2021 skiing, I think the most important thing any of us can do is really go all in on whatever it is our coaches tell us to work on. And I am lucky enough that I get to see all the people who come through Chet's throughout the years, right? 
Um, so it's some people who actually they live here and this is the only they only ski at Chet's um, and some people they come down for a couple months at a time or just a weekend. Um, and so I, I get to see a lot of people who are working people. They have jobs. Um, they don't ski at the pro level, but they travel for tournaments and they love the sport and, and so much so that they're going to travel and invest that much money, right, to yeah. get some help in their skiing. And I think that, and I don't know if coaches don't necessarily talk about this because they think it would not be received well, or maybe it's too aggressive. Um, I have absolutely no ability to scale my aggression. So here I am. Go all in on what your coach is telling you to work on because it will render the results faster. Nothing kills me more than when I see people who are frustrated, like it breaks my heart, but it's because they're only choosing to do one of the two skills that a coach picked for them. And yeah. I wish I could I wish there was a way that I could articulate enough how much your coach cares about you whether you see them once a year or you see them every single day how much they care about you and how much they really do have your best interest at heart and they really do want you to get better but they can't help you if you don't go go all in because if you don't try the skill and let it fail they don't know that that's not the skill to work on anymore that was not right, right for you we have to modify you know and if you do go all in and the skill works awesome you got better but I hear a lot of, I'm, you know, I ski at Okihili a lot. That's a, it's a massive ski club, right? There's so many people. And I hear a lot of conversations like, oh, well, I used to go ski with so-and-so, but I felt like they really didn't want to talk about my things anymore. Or I went to so-and-so and they're still talking about, you know, I've got to get my, my hips straight. And I'm like, well, no shit. They're still talking about to. it because you're still not doing it. <laughs> and so yeah. it, it kills me to watch people be so frustrated. And so I guess it's hard to say all this going into the off season because now nobody can go apply it should they want to. But I think that hopefully COVID begins to dissipate, right? And hopefully we get to have a sense of normalcy. And um, hopefully next season is more normal. And as you're planning that and as you're – I'm sure as a lot of people do in cold weather, visualizing your skiing, you know, on the drive to work. I know a lot of guys who are like, well, I ski in my head. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. I get that. Approach how you plan for this season because the world is different now. It's going to be different. Now is the time to change. We've been through so much change. Why not change in all the ways you need to anyway? It's already, we're all uncomfortable. Just finish it off. Change some more. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Plan on going all on. Going in, all in with your coach. And if you, if you don't believe in what your coach is saying enough to go all in, then maybe that coach is not the right coach for you. And that's not a diss against any coach out there. I think every legit ski coach and ski school I can think of right now is reputable. And I absolutely admire the hell out of them for what they do. Coaching skiers all day is intense. Yeah. But you need to find the person who's right for you. Yeah. The, the, I think, I mean... I'm going to say something bold, but I think you'll agree. A lot of your success is due to your coach-athlete relationship with Chet. Mm -hmm. It's not just because of Chet. It's not Absolutely. just because of you. It's because of, you know, like say I was coaching you and I told you exactly the same things, technical, tactical, equipment as Chet, and maybe it wouldn't have worked out. 
right? It's a lot about coach-athlete relationship. And I think there's nothing wrong with saying if that coach doesn't work for you or if you can't make that coach-athlete bond work, well, then change coach, you yeah. know? Or try to fix it or try to fix that relationship. You know, it's not about just the hips up or the handle low or whatever. It's also how you, you know, you relate to that coach, you know, and sometimes it's highs, sometimes it's lows and you're not going to like what he or she says and then you, you build back up. But I think it's, it's an ever working relationship and provided you have confidence in that relationship, then go all in, right? As Absolutely. you said, I think that's, I think that's the thing. Um, I can't even, well, I have said it publicly more than once, but like my coach athlete relationship with my coach has been, you know, like roller coaster times five, <laughs> but I trust the process. I trust that eventually we manage to agree on things and I grow because of it and he grows because of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so no, I think, I think that's good advice. Good advice. I you know, I think we like what we don't really talk about. It's a narrative that hasn't yet been tapped into in skiing is that do you feel emotionally safe with your coach? And I think the reason we don't talk about that is because we have a lot of middle aged men who ski, right? If we're going to talk about slalom, the demographic that makes up yeah. the most of slalom is middle aged men. Do they really want to talk about feeling emotionally safe in their skier yeah, coach course. relationship? That doesn't even. They don't even think about that. But, yeah. you know, is that why it's not working? Is that why you're not getting any ROI on the time you're spending with your coaches? Because you don't feel, you know, safe to fail, safe to talk about what you're afraid of. And like, hey, here's the deal. It might not be the coach's fault. It might be your fault. You might yeah. need to open up. You might need to admit and take accountability for what you're actually not trying. If, if, you're, if you need to lose weight to ski better and your coach has said that and you're like, okay, yeah, I'll do it, and you're not trying, like take accountability. You're not. It's fine. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Middle-aged males, not the most self-aware demographic also. So, you know, that that's is, a good one. It's very that's accurate observation. <laughs> Which I am jumping into that like head in soon. So, you know, no, thanks. Good reflection. Uh, okay. But, you know, I mean, with Chet, I mean, he's always been really honest with me. And if I was sensitive, it definitely would have hurt my feelings. Like, a lot of the time, but I know that he's doing it out of my best interest and he's not judging me because he himself has failed so much in his lifetime. And so when I fail and he calls me out on it and tells me how I could have not failed or how I could be better, he's not saying like, I'm perfect and you're pathetic. He's just saying, Hey, I failed too. Let's just get through this learning curve faster than what you would on your own. Yeah. And that's been very beneficial to me is because I, like I said, I feel very emotionally safe, even as a not very feely person. Um, and I think that's another thing that has really compounded um, the little measure of success that I've, I've had so far. And I, I hope that everybody at some point in their life finds that chemistry with their coach and with their training partner. Well, I think you're underestimating when you said you have a little dose of success. Um, <laughs> I think I, I would invite you to do what a lot of other people have been doing and taking notice of the season you've had, right? And the, Thank you. And the amount of improvement that you've had because you made a lot of heads turn, Thank right? You. So, you know, 
if there's something that I would I would advise you do in this off season is look back to 2020 a little bit you know <laughs> that was pretty pretty dope here you know maybe on the um, the cold days I'll make a scrapbook or something yeah yeah it helps to journal you know it helps to journal it helps to go back and look at those webcasts you know right yeah it yeah, helps right. thank you look no thank you thank you for deciding to sit down with me uh, in front of the computer uh this has been a true pleasure i've been wanting to interview for a while so i'm glad we got to do this thank you thank you for having me this has been really cool and like i said thank you for everything you're doing for our sport um this is one of the more obvious but i know there's a lot you do behind the scenes um to elevate the sport on all levels not just pro men slalom right you know no. you really are trying to grow the sport in every facet possible and so i'm, I'm super grateful and um um, I hope we keep doing more things like what you're doing. I hope this inspires a lot more growth and content creation and um, challenging the norm. Thank you. Thank you. I hope so too. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Just a reminder, if you want to step up your game in water skiing, you should probably check out the Flowpoint Method, a revolutionary and holistic approach to water skiing created by Jenny Labaugh and Marcus Brown. Learn more about the Flowpoint Method by going to thewaterskipodcast.com slash flowpointmethod. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.